All right, this chapter has 24 verses, so I don't think there's any peril with reading that many verses. If we can survive the weird, or at least to us, unfamiliar names at the end, we'll do our best. But let's start reading in verse number one so we have a command of the story, although this is a very well-known story in the Bible, kind of a, a famous story in the Bible. I think you'll pick right up on it. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship you and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn and Buzz his brother. Don't you know that was a hoot, Uz and Buzz. Somebody had a sense of humor. Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. 
This verse 23 is really a, an important note. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Maacah. And we'll end our reading there. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you so much for all of God's people who have gathered in this place, even at the early hour for our Sunday school and our ABF. Lord, we're mindful of some that can't be here. We think of Maureen Glass, who's not feeling well, and then we seem to have heard that perhaps uh, Daniel's wife is not feeling well. Perhaps there are others, Lord, that we've not uh, heard about. So we, we lift that to you, knowing that you know us all, you know exactly who we are, where we are, and what our needs are, so we're, we're grateful for that. And thank you that uh, uh, even though it's not quite the same thing, we, we do have the um, live stream for people so that when they're not able to be out at services like this, they, they do have some recourse and uh, are able to take in the services, if not uh, at the actual time, at a time when they're feeling well enough to do that. So we, we're, gl we're glad. We pray, Father, that however the Word of God is presented and wherever, as long as it's presented in truth, we pray that the Word of the Lord will be glorified and have free course. And we do want to remember our pastor today. We want to pray that uh, as he has this particular Sunday off, that you'll bless him, refresh him, help him, Father, as he resumes his duties tomorrow. Uh, that he'll have uh, the vigor, the physical stamina, the emotional uh, strength that he needs to not only uh, guide the home and, and to be the proper husband to his wife, father to his children, but the leader of the assembly that you've given here, and we thank you for them. And we would just pray now, Lord, that what we do here in this Lord's Day will honor and glorify you. Bless every class, every listener, every teacher, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to a chapter this morning that I've entitled The Supreme Test. And as you very well know, testing has kind of been really the theme that we've taken, faith and testing. The two always go together. So faith characterizes the life of Abraham. Abraham is known to us in the Bible, not only for his faith, but as an exemplar of faith. And you actually come to the supreme test of that faith in this particular chapter, so hence the title, The Supreme Test. It isn't that he has, to ha has not had others. We've certainly investigated that subject. But in verse number one, that, that word is actually used. It says, and after these things, God tested Abraham. So testing to us, um, maybe a little more meaningful, is trials. And I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you something different, but I can't not and be truthful that the Christian life is just comprised of this. Testing, the testing of our faith seems to be the warp and woof, really, of Christian experience. And so, you know, if you're having a, a relatively calm day and uh, nothing particularly on the radar and, and uh, everything just seems wonderful, please enjoy it. Because tomorrow may not quite be so balmy and you may find that a test comes your way. Why is that? Well, James, as I had those verses last week, we really didn't have time for them. At the end of the lesson, um, it, it is the, the mechanism that seems most used by God and most effective in growing our faith. And I wish I could tell you something else this morning, but I really can't and be truthful. I wish that we would just do it on our own, that we would just grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that it would just be sort of an automatic process in our lives that we would become more and more like Christ. 
How many of us have, have really would put your hand up this morning and say, oh yeah, I do that? <laughs> Not too many people bold enough, I think, to do that. God has a way of nudging us. God has a way of getting our attention. So with that said, there's something else about this particular chapter. Remember last time, I think, when we got to chapter 21, I mentioned that you have kind of a, a trilogy of, of chapters that stand out in the story of the life of Abraham. We looked at the first of them last week, chapter number 21, which I mentioned was a red-letter chapter in the Bible. Now, what's interesting is, even though we're talking about the life of Abraham, these three chapters focus on Isaac as well. In fact, Isaac is kind of the key chapter because in chapter, or the key figure, because in chapter number 21, you have uh, the birth of Isaac. Chapter 22, you could call this the sacrifice of Isaac. And so, I don't know, maybe you have co-stars. Maybe you have Abraham and Isaac. But when we get to chapter 24, so not chapter 23, we're going to talk about something entirely different. It will be back to testing in the life of Abraham again next week when we look, God willing, at chapter 23 and we consider the, the loss of Sarah. But anyway, we're in chapter 22 today, but when we get in another week's time to chapter 24, that's a wife for Isaac. And I think probably everyone here would realize that when God has made this promise to Abraham that through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and has then made it abundantly plain that that seed he's referring to is this miraculous son who has now been born, whose name is Isaac. Well, Isaac is going to somewhere need a wife. And so at the end of the chapter, we have information provided to us about that. So all of this it just fits together, and that chapter 24 is probably a favorite for a lot of people. In fact, when I guess the first announcements were made about ABF for this quarter, and Ken McKenzie saw that I was going to be doing the life of Abraham, so maybe Ken's watching, I don't know, but Ken uh, said, are you going to do anything with chapter 24? And, you know, and I guess, he, you know, that's a, a really important chapter to him, and he'd been reading it, and he showed me a couple things that God had pointed out to him. And then I got back to him about a week ago, and I said, yeah, we are going to do something with chapter 24, because you have this material, you have to fit it into 11 weeks. You've seen this a couple times, we have to combine some things, but we are going to be spending, Lord willing, a lesson in a couple of weeks on chapter 24. So all of that in due course, and if Jesus tarries, and uh, all of that. But this chapter, as I made the remark, is justly famous. I think if there's a chapter in the Old Testament that people know about, this would be one of them the sacrifice of Isaac. And I have stayed away from doing a lot with this, although I'm going to do more with it today, just because I don't think you can avoid saying something about it. See, our, our focus here is the life of Abraham, so we're not necessarily trying to bring out all the, what a lot of people would call typology. And we do have to be careful with that, because some people get carried away, and what you're looking for, if you use that word, is you're looking for New Testament conformation. But I do think it's possible to use another word in many cases where we may not have just the explicit statement from the New Testament. You have a lot of things in the Bible that are foreshadowing events. You certainly have that here. In fact, I'd go so far as to say you have typology here, but again, you can kind of get all involved with that and then you kind of get off the track of talking about the life of Abraham. But I will do a little bit with it today. 
But one of the reasons this chapter is so famous is because you have the story of one father who's willing to sacrifice his son, his only son. That's how Isaac is described. Who foreshadows a greater story, which is yet to unfold, of another father, and of course I'm referring to God the Father, who is also willing to sacrifice his one and only, or as we know from the King James Version, only begotten son. By the way, there's a correlation there, because that word monogonais that's translated um, only begotten there in the King James Version, that would be your same word being used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for these verses where it says your one and only son would be that same word, and it makes a little bit of a a tie-in for this. But there are some other tie-ins that I want to show you right now. So drop down in the chapter to verse number 12, so you can see already with doing some of this foreshadowing stuff, we aren't even off the introduction. (laughs) So let let me try to do what I can here, but verse number 12, look at this. It says, the angel of the Lord, which is the Lord himself here, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for Now I know, of course, this is language for our benefit because God knows everything and God knew well before this event what Abraham's response was going to be. But this is a a way of human expression. I mean, you really know someone means business when they verify that by their actions, when push comes to shove. That's what he's saying, the language is for our benefit. But if you look at verse number 12, why does God know this? He says, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So now I want you to focus on the word withheld. And then we're coming over to the New Testament and looking at Romans 8.32. Just remember withheld. You have not withheld your son, your only son. All right, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus here. And it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32. He who did not spare is the same Greek word that would have been used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which as you know is often abbreviated with the Roman LXX, which stands for 70 because traditionally there were 70 translators, but the Septuagint, and it's the same word used in Romans 8:12. You have not spared your one son, your only son. Now I know. So these tie-ins are all over the place. Not only do you have that particular tie-in, but you have another tie-in because if we go back, which I hit the wrong button, you'll notice that not only do you have one father willing to sacrifice his only son, foreshadowing another greater father, who is willing to sacrifice his one and only son, but it happens, so happens, (laughs) air quotes, to happen in the same place. Uh, In verse number, I guess I don't give it to you there, but in verse number two, is it? Yes, it says, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Well, this is really interesting because the only other place in the Old Testament that we have a reference to this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 in the opening verses. Let's read this verse. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount who? Moriah. Moriah. What do you know? And it became the temple mount. It became the place of sacrifice where the temple was. 
where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now you'll also find this in 2 Samuel 24, 24, but I like to say Ornan better than I like to say Arauna. So if you, <laughs> if you know he, has, he goes two different ways, and Ornan, I don't know, it's just a little easier than that other tongue twister. But this is all right in the vicinity of, of Calvary, where that sacrifice, where in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen, it was. The Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. And it all foreshadowed something that was well into the future. And of course, as you know, the whole genius of this promise made to Abraham that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed, that's a reference to Jesus Christ because he said to seed, not seeds, seed as of one, not many. And as Paul tells us in Galatians, that seed is Christ. So it, all of this stuff is documented in the New Testament, so we're on good, solid ground, but we haven't gotten out of the introduction. <laughs> what happens when you, you, know, you get off of this? So as I said to you, it's Abraham's supreme test what we want to get back to now. And uh, so it, it means that Moriah, Moriah means a lot. It, it's, it's more than just a physical summit. It's a spiritual summit. It's like every, everything in Abraham's life has prepared him to this point. And to make an application, did you ever notice how true that is? I mean, God doesn't start you off with the heaviest thing. You wouldn't make it. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, he didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines, right? Lest they should see what? Oh, come on. Room full of Bible scholars, you can't finish that for me? Lest they would see war and be afraid and want to turn back. And so God knows what we can take, and God meters it out and measures it out. So this supreme test doesn't come on day one. But you can bet this. All these other things that have happened in his life have prepared him for this. And I'll just make the point, beloved, that's why it's so important for us to go through with God. And not to default when he sends testing our way, because who knows really what it's building to and what it's preparing us for, some event. I don't want to know, truthfully. That would scare the liver out of me if somebody told me that on day one. So, I'm just saying. But that's where we are with this. And this spiritual mount, when you look at verse number 12 and you look at verse 18, uh, you don't find any higher accolade than this, really, anywhere in the Bible. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything, for now I know that you fear God. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. And then over in verse 18, seeing... And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It, it doesn't get any better than that. That's what God is looking for. In fact, so since we're talking about testing again and calling this the supreme test, what we're going to do is, is sort of unfold this today in this chapter by talking about Abraham's response. And if you're looking for one word that captures Abraham's response to this, it's the word we just saw in verse 18. It's obey or obedience. And I would throw out to you that I think we find here a model for obedience, and I'll challenge you because I don't know that I'm always there. In fact, I know I'm not always there. The things I'm going to tell you next. I'm not always there. I doubt you are. But boy, is it a challenge. And I think God puts that example Abraham is portrayed to us as an example of faith. 
And in his response to testing, what we've seen is there are lapses, which is just the way we are, and then there are times he just comes through it smelling like a rose and more. And I want to be there, and I, I, it's something to emulate. That's what I want to say today. So there are three things that characterize his response to this supreme test. And number one, his obedience is unquestioned. Now I want you to think a little bit about this. I've said to you before, the only way to really get inside these stories is to put yourself in, in the in the footsteps of the, or the foot, the shoes or sandals of these people. Try to figure out what it would be like if you were there. Well, this isn't out of the blue either because in a sense, he's already been asked to sacrifice one son. Who was that? Ishmael. Yeah, you don't have to be bashful. You can only get it, you can't get it wrong. He only has two. Ishmael. And you know, Ishmael was born a number of years before, and for a while there, I mean, before the birth of Isaac occurred, so 13 or so he was, 13 or so years after, I mean, this is the only son a man of 100 years old had. It's the only family he had. We have no record of daughters. And how incredibly fond of this boy do you think he was? <laughs> well, I can only imagine. I mean, I, I suppose we all express our love in different ways. And, uh, you know, sometimes as men we're bashful about those things, but wow. I mean, I love my sons. And I'm sure those of you who have children love your sons too. Well, you get some sense of this when in chapter 17, which is the verse I have there for you, um, God comes to him and says, yeah, I'm going to give Sarah a child. And Abraham, his response to this, is, I've, I've said to you before, you know, why do you always have to make, this is like saying this to God, why does it always have to be so hard? Can't we ever have an easy one? I mean, Ishmael's right here. Why do you have to persist in all this business? I've got a son. Isn't he good enough? God says, well, it's fine, but he's not the one. And Abraham comes out with this heartfelt response to God in verse number 18 when he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I mean, his heart is just rent here with this. And as recently as the chapter before where we are now, if you look at chapter 21, verse 10 or so, God has doubled down on this thing. Uh, you know, you have Sarah's relentless logic, which says, cast out this slave woman with her son. Abraham doesn't know what to do with that. God comes along in the next verse. It was, it was very distressing. Our, our translation is displeasing. Probably distressing maybe is a little better to capture his emotional thought. He, 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 this was just incredibly distressing to Abraham on account of his son, it says. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Sarah has this relentless logic. She's right but cold. It matters how you say things. And God doesn't respond in the same way, which is what we talked about last time, but God says she's right. You're going to have to send him packing. 
because there's a basic incompatibility here that will only get worse. And again, there's foreshadowing and stuff in that too, which we, we don't have time to talk about again today. So he's already been asked to give up one son. Now he's being asked to give up another. And if you want to know how dear and precious this son is to him, look at the way verse 2 doubles down on the language. He said, take your son, your only son. See, Ishmael is gone. But he's also the only son in another sense. He's the only son in the sense that he's the only one who is the child of promise, and he's the only son of Sarah, and he's the only one through whom the blessings are, are said to come. So he says, take him. And everything you've been doing in the land of Canaan and everything I've talked to you about for the last 25 years all hangs on him. But I want you to sacrifice him. Yeah, well, I hadn't gotten to that. Thanks, Brother Langford. But I had a senior moment. He'd have, he'd have helped me out. But there's more than that, see? As he was saying, it says, whom you love. So the, the language just intensifies all of this. And you see that in that description there. And I've said all these things to kind of point out to you, you know, everything we see here just flies in the face that's everything human. I mean, if you were thinking about how you or I, as a, this is what I say about getting kind of in, in their experience, how would you respond to this if this were your son? And if you had the background, it defies human logic. It defies human logic because, as we've just said, God has just recently, in the chapter before, which describes his birth, this is, you know, a few years before, but still, he's doubled down. It's Isaac. Isaac is the one. And then, of course, you have affection, whom you love, and dreams. You know, ever since aspirations, dreams, ambitions, I mean, what couple that starts out together... I guess maybe there are exceptions, but for the most part, couples marry, they start out together, and they have the dream of children, of a home. And God has put that within us. That's just how he has made us. That's part of the, you don't need AI for that. That's just part of the program. And ever since that gloomy statement of chapter 11, verse 30, now, Sarah was barren and had no children. That's been hanging over them all these years, ever since they came to Canaan and probably before. It's just we're told it at that point. So everything God asks him to do is just totally flies in the face of all human reaction, all human thinking, or normal or general human thinking. There are always exceptions, but here's the thing. You don't hear any pip, peep out of him. There's no hint of protest, no balking, no protesting, just immediate compliance. In fact, it's meant to, it's meant to double down on that when it says Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't even putter around and try to bargain with God or whatever. He, he, he was known to bargain with God. You do know that, right? especially over the destruction of Sodom. But there's none of that here, so we've got to keep moving. The second thing I would say makes this a model of response to testing is the fact that it's all, it's all done with complete faith, trusting. It's trusting obedience. 
It's the only way you can. When, when God puts you in a situation like this where he's asking you to give up the thing, everything he's told you and promised you depends on, only faith can comply with something like that. What kind of faith did he have? Well, that Romans 4.21 that we're going to look at in just a moment says he was fully convinced. But he had a little help with this one because, you see, he'd already seen God bring Isaac from the dead one time. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I'm going to have to turn because I should have given you verse 19, and I only gave you verse 21. So if you're okay, I'll turn and we'll look at this. What in the world are we talking about? He already brought Isaac from the dead once. Well, it says in Romans 4.19, so again, we're looking for the New Testament to corroborate what we're saying. It says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness, which I wish ESV hadn't done that, but it did, it's deadness. And I, you know, mine has, a, mine has a footnote on it and says deadness. I just wish they'd said deadness. But anyway, you get the point. I mean, from a dead womb and from an incapable father, he's already brought this boy once. And he has the faith to believe that God could do that again. You say, where in the world are you getting that? Well, I appreciate you asking. Because the New Testament says so. In verse 19 of Hebrews 11, it says, He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. Now, there's been no record of that in the Bible to this point. No one's ever seen that, to our knowledge. But he believed it. He had a little help. But that doesn't minimize his faith. His faith was in, in complete trust in the God who had revealed himself to him as El Shaddai, God Almighty. God is capable of anything. And if God is going to ask me to sacrifice the one person upon whom everything else that you've told me about the future depends, well, you'll just have to raise him from the dead. Hmm. That's, that's powerful. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And in the process of this, we're going to talk now just about a little bit more foreshadowing. He expresses his faith in that he's fully convinced that God is able to do this. He's also convinced that God would provide and in the process of doing this, he utters, utters, I think probably unknowingly at least at the time, a prophecy, verse 8, but uh, you know what, I've I got to get out of Romans 5. I'm going to read you Genesis 22.8. It helps. Uh, in verse 8, he says, God will provide for himself. This is Isaac who's looking around and saying, well... We've got the wood, we've got the altar, we've got the fire, we've got the knife, we don't have any lamb. And Abraham says, very calmly, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then there's more foreshadowing, which I haven't talked about yet, where it says here, so they both went together 
It's twice it says that. Absolutely no disharmony between the Father and Son, but rather an, an agreement from all eternity. He was slain from before the foundation of the world, we're told in Scripture. So the son of this stuff is just really amazing. And not only does he unknowingly utter a prophecy, but he, I would say, immortalizes a saying that's been claimed by people for years, and justly so. Verse number 14, so Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. How many have ever quoted that? Or maybe you just said Jehovah Jireh. I mean, that's a, you can memorize that before you're out of here. That's fantastic. Generations have mottoed that, used that, quoted that. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided or it shall be seen, because it's a double meaning on the Hebrew word, Yerah, is to see. The Lord will see to it. Okay, we've got to keep moving, sorry. Finally, it's complete obedience. There's nothing held back. It's complete surrender. As I say here, the knife was in the air when the angel spoke from heaven to him to stop. But in God's mind, it was a, a deed already done. It was as good as done, which is what verse 16 says, because you have done this. He didn't completely do it, but it was done. I think you follow that. And God sees in this a true act of worship, which is why he gives him this approbation, this praise in verse number 12. Now I know that you fear God. This is true worship. I mean, he fears God, loves God, and reverences God more than anything else in his life. And I'll tell you, for whom this was an incredibly powerful lesson. Not the two lads that were over yonder, at the private moment of this worship, but the one lad that was there, he saw, he saw, you know God is first in dad's life at the cost of anything else, including me. That's potent. And of course, as you know, James, did I give you the verse? Yeah, uh, James gives us this as an example of true faith or genuine faith. Was not Abraham our father justified? So this is legendary in the Bible. That's what I'm saying. This is legendary. If we respond as Abraham responded, I'm not up here passing out rewards or indulgences. I can't tell you what God's going to do. I just know that he does bless faith. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews tells us this. And so it's not surprising that we can see about four or five evidences of here of, of just poured out blessing. First of all, new assurance. Look at verse 16. So he comes to him and he says in verse 16, By myself I have sworn, uh, declares the Lord. By myself I have sworn. It's easy for us just to re read those words and sort of pass over them, but see, the writer of the Hebrews doesn't do that. And again, here's where you've got more New Testament authentication and more development of the fact that this is legendary in the Bible, and it's legendary for a reason. Because God did something here that's a first. Again, kind of, to some extent, stooping to our human weakness, 
Would God's word be enough? But to human beings, an oath is an end to all debate. And so it's not only the word of God's promise, it's also the oath. He says, I have sworn by myself. And the writer of the Hebrews points out, you know what? God can't swear by anyone greater or anything greater, so he swore by himself. He doubled down on this. When God made a promise, he's already made this promise. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you, but if you go down and keep reading in those verses in Hebrews, he points out what I just said, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, and he goes on and makes the application to Christians that you and I might also have strong hope who have fled to Jesus for refuge. This is the kind of hope that God gives his people, but... This is something new, and it's, it's not by mistake it's given on this occasion. New illustration. Well, we've seen already back in chapter 13, he said, it'll be like the dust. Your descendants will be like the dust. That's pretty graphic. I mean, there's a lot of dust around, isn't there? In spite of the good job the folks do to clean the church, I thought you looked around here, you could find some dust. I'm not telling you to. Just saying, it's everywhere. Then he gave him in chapter 17 stars. Now he gives him sand. How many people have been to the beach? Come on now, I've got to have a better show. Okay. I mean, even if you just walk back from the beach, the amount that's on your feet, you probably can't count the grains. And that's just, you think about that. These illustrations are graphic. New detail, look at the end of verse number 17. He says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Well, Abraham doesn't really have any enemies at this point. This is more than likely just as it goes out further through Isaac, this is more than likely taking it out to the conquest because they will conquer the land of Canaan when God is ready for this. So again, he just keeps giving him new information. Now this to me is, this gets me excited. This might get Brother McKenzie excited. But we're all suckers for a good romance, aren't we? And they don't have to be dirty to be good. But I mean, this story in chapter 24, I mean, bar none, that and Ruth. That and the story of Ruth. You get that going, and that can keep me going a long time. But it just so happens that about this time, again, it just so happens, just like Ruth's hap was, to light on a portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Just so happened. Well, these guys show up. Hey, just brought the news. Your brother wanted you to know. He's got quite a family here. Oh, and the eighth of the sons is Bethuel. And the writer includes this for us. This is not by mistake. He was the father of Rebekah. Oh. Just sort of dropped that little detail about there's a daughter in the picture. And we know about that daughter, don't we? Because when we get to chapter 24 and that servant shows up with those ten camels at the well and has prayed that prayer, Lord, let it be the one that when I ask for a drink, she says, I'll water your camels also. And she comes and say, oh, that's Rebecca. She's the daughter of Bethuel. And the guy about faints. 
because he knows God's answered his prayer. Folks, it's exciting living the life of faith. I didn't say it was easy because God does some incredible things. Some things that just are legendary in our lives, legendary in the, in the stories of Scripture. That new information just drops providentially. Just file it away. You may need it. He does. Because faith honors God and God honors faith. Now, I want to do one more thing before we close. There's a lot of honor here for Abraham and justly so because of his response, which we should all try to emulate to the best of our ability. But there may be an honor that surpasses even all of these accolades that we've seen so far, and that honor would be to have been used by God, not all of which I think he knew at the time, but which I think he gained a greater picture perhaps as time went by for all of this foreshadowing, and I want to show you one last thing. I told you I'd throw out some little tidbits here and there. And by God's grace, I think we'll finish this on time. But um, all of this foreshadows the final sacrifice. But look, there are some details here that you just can't miss. Look at verse number 6 in your story. It says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it, on Isaac his son. So how old was Isaac? Don't know. But old enough to carry the wood. And if he was old enough to carry the wood, he was old enough to resist. But they went together. Remember, it says that twice. They too went together because there was an accord between father and son about this act of sacrifice that would one day happen in the same place John 19, 17 says he went out bearing his own cross, just like Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carried the cross. And the ultimate provision, well, it says in verse number 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes. One wonders, was there all along. But now God reveals it to him. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. So it's not by mistake that when John sees Jesus coming the next day, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one more thing that I didn't say here, but it matches something that we see in verse number 6. See, Isaac is bearing the wood, just like Jesus bore the cross. But there's a picture here of something else. It says here, Abraham took in his hand the fire and the knife. The son bears the wood. The father holds the fire and the knife the twin symbols of death and judgment. They are in the hand of the Father. And on the cross of Calvary, they descend on his one and only Son for the simple reason that God so loved the world 
that he gave, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Our Father, bless us as we finalize in our class. Bless us as we fellowship between, and bless us as we move to the next service. In Jesus' holy name, amen.